Welcome to the Appalachian Timber Ghost Outdoor Adventures Podcast. We're going to talk hunting, fishing, and everything outdoors. So pull up a seat and enjoy our campfire stories. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Appalachian Timber Ghost Outdoor Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Russell. Thanks for joining me today. Well, we finally put the winter behind us. Unfortunately, I just started ice fishing for the first time in 20 years. So, wish it lasted a little bit longer, but I can honestly say I was done with it. Um, looking forward to doing a lot of different things this year, making time for myself. But now everybody's starting to gear up for trout, turkey. You're starting to see those spring bear pictures on people's trail cams. Every year about this time, I always post a little bit of an article on copperhead snakes. You know, they're coming out of their dens. You should probably be mindful when you're walking around the woods. But over the last couple of years, one thing that I noticed, seen a lot more rattlesnake sightings in New York here on social media. So it started making me wonder, is there, is there more snakes out there? Should we be more aware of rattlesnakes and not just our copperhead friends? Had a friend of mine, Matt, a couple years ago, while he was turkey hunting, had a picture of a coiled up rattlesnake at the base of a tree. Now, like myself, I sit at the base of trees during turkey hunting. I don't use a blind. I'm from the old school, just sit under a tree and sit still. But glad to bring on a wildlife biologist. It's an honor and a privilege to have this gentleman on. Joe Reset from Department of Environmental Conservation. He's done some studies on rattlesnakes and been around a lot of rattlesnake experts. Seen quite a few timber rattlesnakes in his day. So let's welcome Joe to the show. Joe, how are you today? Good, Glenn. How are you? Very good. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, so, t- give me, a, tell me a little bit about yourself. How long you been with DEC and when exactly what you do? I have been with DEC for just short of thirty years. Um, uh, like most of us at DEC, I started as a fish and wildlife technician, uh, working on sea lamprey control on Lake Champlain as a seasonal technician, and then. Um, Continued working on Lake Champlain on the long-term monitoring project that's run under the auspices of the Lake Champlain Basin Program. Um, and then in 2001, I shifted to wildlife and was the hunter safety regional coordinator for the Eastern Adirondacks. Um, and then in 2008, I shifted over to the diversity uh, side of our work and um, that's when I first uh, became associated with timber rattlesnakes and uh, I was responsible for monitoring timber rattlesnakes and uh, that my portion of the Adirondacks Um, and then in 2013 I moved to Albany um, where I uh, have continued to work somewhat on timber rattlesnakes but my current assignment is as the mammal diversity unit leader Cool. All right. Yeah, so uh, a big part of why I wanted to talk to you, because, uh, you know, with social media and everybody has uh, cameras, and I've noticed over the last couple of years, just with my own friends personally, I'm a turkey hunter, 
uh, people are having encounters more and more with rattlesnakes. Really? Yes. Um, so a, f- a few years ago, a friend of mine, he was turkey hunting, and on the backside of the tree, when he got up and walked around the tree, there was one coiled up. So I was just wondering, like, I know, I think it was back maybe 70s, 80s, they were, at, I think it was 75% decline in their numbers. Do you got? Do you see that there's possibly, like, a, a rise in the numbers? Uh, we have not seen a rise in numbers in New York, and yeah, we. So the number we use is the number of breeding adults in a population. Okay. That's less variable than the number of total snakes. You know, given the the birth pulses and such. Um, so we don't have solid numbers for most of our populations. We've had some. Uh, Excellent work done by Bill Brown in the Lake George area. So we, that's where we have some of our best information. And then similarly, other folks have been working in the lower Hudson Valley area. Um, so we, we have not seen an increase and we have not seen timber rattlesnakes recolonize any of the areas from which they have been eliminated. So that's something we, are looking for to see if the population is recovering, if they're, re, you know, reoccupying areas that they have been extirpated from, and we just haven't seen that. Right. So, so it'd be really important for people to report that, I would take it. Yeah. It, you know, I think one thing that may be happening is they're having a longer active season with climate change. There's more, you know, w- w- earlier spring and later fall and so we've uh you know it might be that they're just uh, you know out and about for a larger part of the year and therefore people are more likely to encounter them right right yeah because it, it was funny you brought up the climate change i i was reading where this the snake fungal disease where yeah. because the climate you know change you're seeing a lot more with the snakes with that and, you know, and so there's a group of timber rattlesnake experts that meets annually, and I've attended their meetings for the last 10 years or so. And originally, many of the members of that group were skeptical about snake fungal disease and said, we've always seen, they call them hibernation blisters. So the snakes would come out of hibernation with blisters on their face, faces, and these would heal when they had their first shed of the year, when they shed their skin for the first time. So there was some some skepticism about the severity of snake fungal disease. And, you know, the research uh, continued and it has, you know, been demonstrated certainly in other species um, to have population-level negative impacts. Um, and then as we, you know, look closer at particular populations, we did, you know, we have seen some populations that are clearly uh, individuals are infected, sometimes quite severely disfigured. But surprisingly, we have seen, you know, animals with severe fungal disease survive for multiple years and, you know, maybe never fully recover, but it hasn't been fatal to them. So we, you know, there's a lot of unknowns about snake fungal disease. We, we don't know how much it's impacting populations. Um, and, and the research is continuing. 
and, and you know, there's some question about why we haven't seen it everywhere. We have some den sites where we just have not seen snakes with sna- obvious snake fungal disease. And so, um, you know, one of the theories is that it's related to, uh, de- you know, smaller populations and, and inbreeding and genetic depression makes them more susceptible to the snake fungal disease at some locations. So that's that's one of the unknowns, but it's certainly a possibility. And, um, you know, it's one that we continue to, to work with uh, academic researchers in trying to assess the severity and, and distribution of the snake fungal disease in New York. Okay. What's what's the rough population on snakes, do you know, with the rattlesnakes? We estimate uh, the total population in New York to be 7,000 to 8,000 breeding adults. Okay. Now, and th- oops, they, that is distributed at about 205 den sites, known den sites in New York. Wow. So, like, if say there's a threatened den, would they relocate? How does DEC step in when, with you know with stuff like that, like protected areas? Um, you know, we have uh, our regional staff would do what we call project review when a proposal comes in. Um, we look to see if there's any uh, endangered or threatened species in the area that are potentially impacted, and work with the the project developer to first try to avoid the impact? Is there some way to reconfigure the proposal that would avoid impacting the species? Um, And the other method we use is time of year restrictions. So obviously when the snakes are underground in their hibernation den, then work can proceed on the surface without an immediate threat to the snakes. Um, So in general, we can use that tool and, and the other regulatory tools available so that the project can proceed. Um, and it, so it's very rare that a project is fully stopped because of impacts to timber rattlesnakes. It, you know, it's more often um, re, we have to amend the proposal to to avoid the impact in the first place. Right. Right. Because I was I, I was reading too uh, where I guess you know they're not in the higher peaks because I live in the Catskills now I'm down in Greenville New York and uh, I just started hunting public land so I was kind of glad, glad to hear that they're not up in the higher elevations supposedly so is that true? That is true and you know in in the Adirondacks we have one historic den location the snakes are no longer there but. We do have information that they were there into the early 1900s. And that location is at about 1,500 feet above sea level. Wow. So in conferring with some of the experts, I, you know, I said, is it pot? And so one thing we've done is almost every place that has rattlesnake in the name is because the rattlesnakes were there at one time. Right. So, so this particular place is Rattlesnake Knob, and I, I was dubious that the snakes would have lived at that high of an elevation. But the consensus among the experts is that about 5,000 years ago, there was a warmer period, and timber rattlesnakes were much more widely distributed in the Northeast uh, because they were able to take advantage of, of the warmer climate at that time. Um, and then as things cooled, there 
distribution was reduced uh, to, you know, what it was during the colonial period. Right. Because it seemed like there was, uh, like, a market, like, where there's, you know, where they're pretty much headhunting him at one point. Because even where I grew up in Dutchess, the old-timers used to talk about a place out in the clove they called Rattlesnake Ridge. Um, I don't know if you could answer this, but it, do, you, do the Encon police, do they find where they actually have a lot of people trying to take the snakes? It is a concern. And, you know, uh, counties in New York and in and, and some counties in Vermont actually paid a bounty for timber rattlesnakes um, until the 1970s, um, you know, with the goal being to eliminate the population of timber rattlesnakes. So there was, you know, not just hunting, but there was government-supported bounty programs to seek to eliminate the snakes. Wow. And, and you know, the bounties ended in the 70s, and uh, the snakes achieved uh, in New York protection under the Endangered and Threatened Species uh, Act in 1983, I believe that was. And um, we do have reports of illegal collection and it's one of those things that it's very difficult to enforce the the the, uh, the chances of an officer in the field stumbling across someone who is in possession of illegal possession of rattlesnakes is, is you know that's a needle in a haystack kind of thing sure so what our law enforcement does is um they have run undercover operations where they pose as buyers. And and that's been effective. They had a, a big operation like that uh, oh, a number of years ago now uh, called Operation Shell Shock. And they were able to um, purchase at, you know, at market um, a number of a variety of species, including timber rattlesnakes. So, you know, we, we do know there is illegal collection. Um, the you know some of the folks that monitor den sites will put out trail cameras, and we have had pictures of somebody who none of us knew uh, approaching a den site carrying a snake hook. So you know that's an indication of sure. illegal collection. Um, and you know certainly there there may be uh, you know some who are looking to sell the snakes, but also there's some that just would like to, co you know, collect the snake for their own enjoyment. Sure. And which is also illegal. So, so it is a concern. Um, and it's one of the reasons why the timber rattlesnake world is, is quite secretive is people do not give up the information on locations and numbers of snakes, um, to discourage illegal collection. Right, right. So, uh, one more question I had for you is, do snakes move at night? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, they will move at night. The timber rattlesnakes don't move very far. That I think our furthest record away from a den site is just short of five miles for a male, and the females are more like 2.5 miles. So, the snakes will move around at night. They will hunt at night. Um, you know, they have essentially a thermal imaging system so that they can see um, warm-bodied uh, mice and other prey at night. Um, so they would be active uh, both night and day. Okay. Yeah, because I, I heard a story about a guy, a hunter, going through, I guess the, it was a copperhead, was up in a sapling, 
And when he walked by, it struck him in the head. <laughs> you know, so it's funny. The older I get, the more I think about these things. <laughs> you know, and, and the honest truth is you're, you're not going to get bit by a timber rattlesnake in New York, even if you're, say, turkey hunting or recreating a field. The overwhelming majority of people that are bitten by timber rattlesnakes are trying to catch the snake. Right. Right. And, you know, the snakes are, despite their reputation as being fierce, they're actually quite shy, and they will just try to uh, stay still and camouflage. And, and they're very good at that, as you as you may have seen, that they're, you know, there's times when you, you're right next to a snake and you don't even see it uh, until it flicks its tongue. Right. Um, so, and, and, you know, then they would prefer to move off. Often they're in rocky areas and they... they move off into the rocks um so they're they're not aggressive towards people at all so there's two two different kinds of rattlesnakes i saw yes yes we have timber rattlesnakes which are uh you know more widespread in new york and then there's massasagua rattlesnakes which are also known as swamp rattlesnakes swamp okay. rattlers um, which are a little bit smaller than timber rattlesnakes. Uh, they're slightly different coloration, um, and and like their name, they exist in particular swamps. There is they're only at two locations in New York. Okay. So, all right. So, I appreciate you coming on. But uh, at the end of my uh, interviews, I like to do uh, like a campfire story. So, uh, do you have any stories to jump out that you like telling people about you in the field? Sure. Uh, you know, I've got one related to timber rattlesnakes. We, I was out with the group of rattlesnake experts, and like I say, these are some of the best, most experienced rattlesnake folks, timber rattlesnake folks there are. And we stopped for lunch, so we're all um, sitting on the rocks, and everybody's eating their sandwiches. And with a group of about a dozen people, as we're finishing our sandwiches, one of the one of the guys looks and says, "Bill, right next to your foot." And we, we had been sitting there and there was a timber rattlesnake coiled among us all within two feet of a guy's foot and none of us saw it for more than 20 minutes. <laughs> wow. Unreal. That's so, a great story. And, you know, I've had a, a number of great field experiences working with timber rattlesnakes. They're, they're just fascinating. So in general, we're in the field in the fall. As they move back into their den sites, they gather at the entrances to the dens, and it's the best time of the year to count them. And it's a good time of the year to be a field um, in those last warm days of uh, early fall. Um, and, uh, you know, we and they live in beautiful locations. They're, you know, they're certainly mountainous, rocky areas. They're not easy to navigate, but they have brought me to some of the most beautiful places I've been to in New York. I believe it. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I thank you for your time. It's much appreciated. Maybe I could reach out to you again sometime about mammals. So um, thanks again. I, your time is much appreciated. Oh, it's my pleasure, Glenn. All right. Well, have a great day, and uh, hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. You as well. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was a great interview, and I just want to thank Joe again for coming on our show, uh, answered a lot of questions about our eastern timber rattlesnake as well as a, a kind of rattlesnake I never heard of, the Masasagua. So hopefully you all enjoyed that interview. Uh, 
give me a little bit of light, not be as panicked when I'm sitting on the trees come a month from now, a little over a month. Next week, we're going to hit up on, uh, you know, gearing up for our trout season, striper season. And in a month from that, Thunder Chicken. So, hope you all enjoyed the show. Um, it was a good way to start this podcast. Great interview. And uh, like I said, I don't want to throw names around unless I can really nail them down. But I definitely have some great guests coming up in the near future here. So, stay tuned. Subscribe. It's much appreciated, you know. No one would know when we're coming out with the next one. All right, everybody. Have a great day. This episode of Appalachian Timber Ghost Outdoors is brought to you by Wild Kingdom Soap. <laughs>